Welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefee, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facility side of our business. Welcome to the Beyond the Baselines podcast. I'm Ed Chanafee, your host, and with each podcast, it's a pleasure to bring you the news and the views of the private members club and boutique hotel industries. Eric Loftus joins us today at the Beyond the Baselines podcast. Eric started many years ago the well-known Cape and Island Tennis and Track, which constructs both tennis courts for clubs and private individuals, as well as courts and tracks for public facilities and educational sites. He knows the pulse on court construction, not only in the Northeast, but also nationally, as his new enterprise, Northeast Padel, is taking on the construction of Padel courts as the sport grows across the USA. We talked about pickleball and its growth here in the USA, but its growth in Europe is not nearly as strong. Long term, Padel might be the sport to watch. Just recently, I took my daughter to a tournament in North Florida, and there were nine racquetball courts on this public facility. What happened to racquetball? Could that happen to pickleball? We'll see. But in Europe and Latin America, Padel is here to stay. Eric brings us the stats. In terms of Padel here in the USA, Loftus says it's a bit of the wild, wild rest right now. Presently, there are 30,000 courts in Europe, and of those, 20,000 are in Spain. At the minute, there are approximately 350 courts here in the USA. Is pickleball and Padel going to cannibalize tennis? Loftus says tennis and squash and all racket sports are growing steadily. He also takes us through the ideas of catchment areas and how private equity and investors are looking at the growth in Padel. Where are the nearest courts, they ask, if any? Will racket sport junkies move across to Padel, or will platform tennis remain strong and keep some of those players and keep them from moving across to Padel? Studies and research continue, both on the private equity side as well as within the private members club arena and even the public sector. We go into the current state of tennis court construction and how to tune up subsurface courts and get them firmer. I even learned something, and I love court maintenance. Before we bring on Eric, I'd like to remind all of our listeners, and we have over 10,000 of you out there, and I'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening. Just what we do here at BeyondTheBaselines.com, we're a full-service consulting firm for private members clubs, boutique hotels, and tennis and golf facilities. Whether you'd like a partnership in marketing, an opinion on a particular uh, club department, or you're in need of interim management, or an interim golf or tennis pro, please give us a call on 508-538-1288, or you can always drop us an email at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com. Please visit our website at beyondthebaselines.com. You can always find me, yours truly, on Instagram. I'm at Ed Shanafee Consultant, or on Facebook or LinkedIn. And my last name is a tough one. It's Shanafee, spelled S-H-A-N-A-P-H-Y. On Twitter, I'm at Beyond Baselines. But now, let's get back to Eric and why he feels Padel might be buying up warehouse space with certain height sailings up there in New England. Partner at both Cape and Island Tennis and Track and Northeast Padel, here's Eric. Hello and welcome to the Beyond the Baselines podcast. I'm Ed Shanafee, your host. And this week we've got Eric Loftus from Cape and Island. I've known him from Cape and Island Tennis and Track. He's now got a new company called uh, Northeast Padel. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the new sports, the new racket sports. But Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Ed. Really appreciate it. It looks warm in uh, it looks warm in your office up there. I know it's getting colder outside. It's uh, We're here in uh, almost uh, the end of September. So take me, Eric, take me through your history. Uh, you're 
you guys are one of the biggest and best uh, tennis court maintenance and builders and constructors that I know. Um, how did you get into this business and, and, and what's your background? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, you're right. So the company Cape and Island Tennis and Track was founded uh, by Gordy Pierce in 1972 and kind of caught the tennis boom, you know, in the 70s coming out um, coming out of everywhere. But, yeah, we've been building courts and started building uh, running tracks in the late 80s. And, you know, what we do, we're the largest company, what we do in New England. Um, you know, I'm proud to say we're the most award winning company in the country at what we do. And now we've decided to launch a business called Northeast Padel to kind of take advantage of the uh, Padel boom that's coming, coming across the water from Europe and maybe even up from, you know, Florida and Central America and the West Coast. So uh, personally, you know, I've been here, this is my 13th year at the company. Um, I'm part of the second generation. I'm a partner. I run the court division of the company. My partner, Christoph, runs the uh, track construction and uh, surfacing division as well. Um, he's president of the company. He's the founder's nephew, and I'm vice president of the, of the business. So I was uh, grew up in this town and born, moved away for about 15 years. Uh, Christoph is a childhood friend of mine. And about, you know, maybe 14 years ago, we started about talking about maybe me coming back and seeing if we could make some happen and grow the business together. And it's been great. I'm very fortunate to be able to work this, work this closely with a childhood friend. You know, it's a, it's a great family business and uh, you know, we try to keep the bar high and build the best we can. And it's been working out great. Yeah. Now, I mean, you guys started small, right? I mean, let, let's just go back to the beginning. Um, I mean, you're called Cape and Island and you know, we, I work up there in the summers. Yeah. I think most people listening to the podcast know I'm there in Marion. You're you're based in Bourne. We just off air. We talked a little bit about Pocasset, one of my favorite spots there on the Cape. But you guys started really just Cape and Islands, and now you're, especially with North Northeast Padel, you guys are going beyond Massachusetts, way beyond, right? Yeah, for sure. So New England, we've been building. I'm sorry for Cape and Island tennis. We've been building across New England for a number of years now. I mean, our Main market is the private colleges, private schools, country clubs, and homeowners, at least on the tennis side. On the track side of the business, it's much more municipal uh, because it, it kind of has to be. You know, every every town, every high school has a running track, you know, and there are not many that are built in people's backyards. So that, yeah. that's where the business is. But, yeah, so we've been in New England. Uh, we have generally stayed out of New York in the tennis and track business. We were fortunate enough. We were shortlisted, one of three companies, to – uh, bid the total renovation of the U.S. Open about five years ago, which was a heck of an experience that I can talk about another time. Uh, <laughs> I kind of ran back to Cape Cod with my tail between my legs, but but it was interesting, uh, interesting learning experience across the board. And Northeast Padel, we're uh, we're looking to service a little bit beyond that market. So we are right now the first fully functional. Uh, Padel construction company in the East Coast for sure that you know can offer American workers, uh, papered workers, storage, logistics, after sales service. Uh, we can warehouse these courts, and you know if you one problem is now if you order a court from Spain and you have it built, say in Philadelphia, and break a piece of glass, well you got to run back to Spain to get another piece. You know, so we're trying to normalize that business. It's a little bit of the Wild West right now, but we'll go. We'll go as far at right now, I'd say down to DC and up north. Uh, you know, it depends where this market goes for the most part. But uh, we're trying to 
kind of be the established boots on the ground company and take what we've done in Cape and Island tennis and track over the last 50 years and apply that to this new game as it kind of takes hold in the United States. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that. The supply chain, um, as I understand it, almost all the Padel courts, and and just for our customers, our listeners, we're going to call Padel Padel. We're going to call Paddle, which is the platform tennis. We're going to call it platform tennis for this podcast. If that comes up tennis course and pickleball. So, uh, the Padel courts, mainly, uh, obviously, I think most of the manufacturing is done in Spain. And I think Spain services mostly the U.S., Latin America. Um, everything's really made in Spain. And then you guys import it and and construct the court here. You guys are in charge of, like, you know, the foundation, the cement, the lighting and all that. The lights come from there, too? Or the lights come from here? How does that work? Yeah, generally. So, like I said, it is a bit of the Wild West right now, right? So, yes, you're by and large, you're correct. Most of the courts are the biggest infrastructure, the biggest manufacturing is all in Spain at this point. I mean, to give you a perspective, there's 30,000 courts in Europe and 22,000 of them are in Spain. You know, there are 300 to 350, depending on who you ask, in the United States. So, that's kind of your market disparity, right? But yeah, so uh, there are Italian manufacturers. There are, um, I mean, China's trying like crazy, just take them all and, and make copies Actually. and sell them cheap, right? Uh, there's a Dutch company. There's, you know, there are a couple here and there. There's a, a mobile company in Sweden that's uh, getting into business as well and trying, and everybody's trying to crack into the United States. Uh, there's actually an American company now who is uh, building a court uh, up in New York that I, I've seen and it's, it's very good quality. Uh, but it'll be, I'm not sure they've fully hit the market yet. You know, everybody's kind of just circling and trying to figure out where it's all going to fit in and position themselves correctly at this point, you know? I'm coming uh, from the other side. Clubs are circling too. I mean, that's exactly yeah. where we're at. I mean, I think I talked to you about the club down in New Jersey that I help out and, you know, they're circling. They're wondering whether, they, and, and this is a question I'm going to ask you, but the clubs are, and I'll ask, let you answer it. Clubs sure. are wondering if, here you go. Let's go back a step. Squash, you know, back in the 40s, 50s, never – you built a squash court, right? Didn't take away from a tennis court. Right. But now clubs are really struggling with the question as to whether they take out um, – and we're doing it here in Florida probably – take out two tennis courts and put in three Padel, okay? Yeah. That's what they're circling about. And because they're circling, you're having a circle. Is that – are you finding that clubs are building – off of tennis courts or on tennis courts in the main part? What are you, what are you finding? And so it's so new, right? I mean, to, to be fair, there are no clubs open in New England yet. There are no publicly accessible courts in New England. There's a, there's a project down in Norwalk, Connecticut called Sports House. Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, Patriciano, right, down there in yeah. Norwalk. Yeah, but they're, I, if they're trying to open in early October, so where are we now? We're the end of September 2023. Uh, they should be opening shortly. And, you know, they kind of spurred out the popularity of Padel House in, in Brooklyn, which now is their second location. And then there was a pop up in Manhattan for the summer as well. Right. Uh, there's the, those the reserve for Miami. But there is there are no courts yet. So it's all people are all trying to figure this dance out. So I think in at least the northeastern United States, the best example is Philadelphia. Um, there is a place called Padelphia that was built um kind of on spec uh, towards the beginning of COVID or maybe right before. Mm-hmm. And there was an indoor and outdoor facility. And I think the outdoor was first and uh, the indoors. I played at the indoor facility and uh, in Balakinwood. And 
people started playing and now all the country clubs in that area, Marion, uh, Philly cricket, Germantown, I believe, uh, are all building <clears throat> Padel courts as a response to increase their racket offerings because people are crazy about playing. Now, to answer your question, is it going to cannibalize tennis? I, racket sports are in such a rise across the board right now that I don't know. I mean, I you're right now, obviously, pickleball is doing it in a lot of different places, right? They're, you go and they're taking over tennis courts. and uh, But tennis is on the rise as well. So we're seeing, obviously, if you listen to USTA's numbers, they'll tell you it's through the roof. I'm not sure exactly where the where the actual magic is there, but it's definitely on the rise. Uh, I'm hearing squash is on the rise to an extent. Um, one good thing about pickle is that, yes, is there – one good thing about pickle as far as Padel is concerned that the rest of the world doesn't have is that pickleball, for whatever you feel about it, has exposed – athletes and a lot of people to racket sports who may never have come across it before. So, you know, there's so many people who are at least casually playing pickle or have played in the backyard or whatever that, you know, maybe they've played other sports. You know, I didn't pick up a racket of any sort until I was 35 years old. So you know, I played football and rugby and baseball and, you know, everything else and soccer. And, and then I was, I had no idea about racket sports. No. So pickleball is now exposing this whole other community and if you get somebody really athletic or somebody really competitive, I feel like they may outgrow, or at least there's the opportunity to outgrow pickleball. And if Padel is being played over their shoulder, they might start looking like, hey, let me try that game out. You know, And I think that's going to really boost the sport to the point, and to kind of answer your question, I guess, is that when we're doing a lot of these um, master plans with clubs, uh, we're involved with the New England Club Managers Association and everything else. And a lot of these guys are looking at their whole rackets program as a whole. They are looking to expand and accommodate these racket sports rather than take away from existing sports. So I'd like to think that the rising tide lifts all boats. Um, but yeah, of course, every, you know, if you're real estate constrained, like a lot of folks are, especially in the Northeast, you might have to make some sacrifices and say, all right, we're going to lose, you know, you know, what you'll see is at a club, you'll lose the hard court, not the clay courts, you know, at, at the beginning or the teaching court or whatever. And then, um, you know, not maybe, the teaching court, please, please. No, no. <laughs> uh, but that will be where I think you'll see maybe the first ones go. Like every, we're talking to all these different investors, all these different players and everybody, the term that keeps getting kicked around is proof of concept. You know, everybody sees what's going on in Europe. Everybody's putting their toes in the water. But no one besides in like the Miami, San Diego parts of the world are have gone all in yet. At Beyond the Baselines, we have over 25 years of experience with management of private members clubs and boutique resorts. Whether it's finding the inefficiencies caused by the blurring of roles between management and board governance, managing a single department, or educating and mentoring a key employee, we have served the private members club industry like no other consultancy since 2007. Partnering with club governing bodies and working alongside management, we bring a team of highly specialized and experienced 
experienced associates for that personal touch and hands-on management style to achieve long-term goals with short-term results. At Beyond the Baselines, we understand the traditions and importance of membership, but history and connections to a bygone era shouldn't inhibit growth. In fact, we believe they can be a catalyst for change. So please visit our website at beyondthebaselines.com or give us a call at 508-538-1288. That's 508-538-1288. It, it's hard because, you know, I, I deal with this club in New Jersey, just outside Philadelphia, and it's in Princeton, and they, they're they going to Padelphia next week, and uh, several of them are members of Philadelphia Cricket Club, and they're all saying that the Padel courts are packed. I'd love to see the real numbers. You know, I want to see numbers. I mean, everyone, you know, I, when I got to that club uh, four years ago to consult, they said, hey, Ed, our tennis courts are packed. They go, really? Let's look. And I found out that, you know, 40% of uh, time was unused. And so th- there's a there's a – Everyone's, tapped, you know, I mean, especially me. I'm, I mean, my middle name's Ed Zaggeration. I mean, we're all tend to go hyperbolic over hyperbolic, yeah, yeah, uh, hyperbole, hyper, hyper, you know, over a new sport. And and I think pickleball has hit big numbers. I think Padel will hit big numbers, but I think it's going to take a little longer than we're all expecting as the clubs circle and figure out how to fund this and how to how to get you know equity clubs how they're going to get members to ante up to pay for possibly. 40 players playing at the first instance, you know, why should 200 members play for 40? I think you're, I think you're right on the country club end. So you're kind of seeing now in Fairfield County, you're seeing some almost the same effect in Philadelphia. You're seeing these clubs like New Canaan field club, just put in one or two courts. Right. Right. Um, They are, but you also have, I had a call yesterday with three uh, uh, guys, American guys who are from one's from Panama, two from Spain, right? One lives in Miami. And they're Bostonians and they're like, all right, how do we make this happen? Like I've seen enough, I've seen enough modeling. I've seen enough slide decks at this point that there are a lot of investors trying to figure out the economics of it and the math will work. And I, he mentioned that, you know, maybe those courts are unoccupied 40% of the time. That was I mean, tennis, not Fidel tennis, but yeah, go on. Yeah. But even still, so like these clubs and even these pickleball clubs are running numbers conservatively at you know 40 to 60 percent occupancy rate like you're saying and the math still works you know the um it's finding the challenges i think so what i think will actually happen and this is just my sense of the market right now which obviously could change at any time is that you will see the the somebody will take private money will take a risk and build a club in these different areas the country clubs will follow once the concept's been proven, like you said. Because if you get these equities clubs, you got to get everybody kick in, and you know how it's like. I'm a member of golf club down here, but you know, t- on the tennis committee, and it, you're fighting for anything. You know, golfers don't care about the tennis scores, and vice versa, right? So you got to get buy-in from everybody. But if you get you know four guys with private dollars that want to build it and they do the math, they'll just make it happen. And then when their members want to play, that's when they'll start you know, rattling savers to the board and everything else. And you'll start seeing construction. Right. Okay. So, so you're, you're, you're saying the country clubs are going to follow the private, private equity money. The equity members will follow the private equity money. Um, I think so. And now, now I, I, as I, and I know I'm heavily involved in the new England area. There's a new Padel house going, as you said, in Boston, I believe. Right. Isn't that going to be in Boston? There is not Padel house. Well, I, there's I there's a couple different things right now. No, there's no ink yet, as far as I know. Okay. You know, there's uh there are multiple 
I mean, we're working on develop with um, a team that's looking at three sites in the Boston area for 2024. Uh, we're looking at another consulting with another team's looking in Metro West right now. Like there's uh, real estate. You mean like Medfield that way over there? Yeah, just figure, uh, you know, still NDAs and all that. But, you know, it's. Okay. Uh, I'm just trying yeah. to figure out, you know, how it's going to be. I'm not trying to figure find that out. I'm just trying to yeah. find out, like. What pockets of Boston? I mean, I can see, you know, the bankers down in you know, State Street playing out in the middle of the park. And I can see, you know, the wealthier yeah. suburbs, Brookline, Chestnut Hill, having courts, you know, maybe, you know, in the in, in the public facilities. I, I don't know. But I, you'll I, I'm see it. Yeah. the demographic of the sport, too, because, you know, squash tennis tends to have a similar demographic. Pickleball has a definite different demographic. You see where I'm going here? Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to figure out where Padel's demographics going to be. Is it going to be, you know, um, I tell you, I tennis, what former platform players, what, where are we at? For sure. So all of that. So, right. So, you know, usually when you're doing a, a tennis club research on the vi- economic viability, you want to take a, a, the standard is a 20 minute drive is your catchment area, right? Who's going to, not going to drive more 20 minutes. Um, except at first, if you're a first mover and there's, that's the only option people really want to play they will drive a little further until there become more options, uh, more locally viable. You know, for example, like I am starting this last year, I started to play squash and there's no squash courts here. I drive to Boston to play. Uh, you know, I work around Boston, so it makes it convenient that, but if I have an appointment, let's say on Friday, I have an appointment in Waltham at Brandeis and I'm going to go in there and play squash afterwards, have lunch, play squash and drive home. So I will drive an hour to go play a game because there's no there's no option down by me now i think that in padel you got two things so where i play squash all those guys are chomping at the bit because they're racket sports junkies right, right. so they're going to play anything i think platform tennis in the northeast is going to lend itself very well because the game is um very similar uh as far as how you play doubles how you play off the screens versus the glass. Obviously it comes off a little bit differently and everything else, but I had a, a guy with me last night. We played, we just started our platform season and he is a Padel player from Miami. Um, also a very good tennis player. He's on the Bahamian Davis cup team, but he had never played before. And, you know, obviously due to his talent level, he was better than all of us in about 10 minutes, but, uh, but he understood the, how the mechanics of the game worked because it was very similar to plat- to paddle. To paddle. Yeah. So now all these platform guys are going to jump right into this. It's year round. You know, the, they're, they're rapidly passionate about the game, you know? So um, yeah. I think I, it'll be a good, a good transition game. I see that with squash as well. I think squash guys, squash players uh, are going to love Padel and they're, they're chomp, as you said, chomping at the bit. Um, in terms of te- let's go back to tennis because uh, you know that's um, where you started, obviously. Yeah. Um, in terms of construction for tennis, and obviously there is new construction, as as you said, the USTA, take it or leave it, says it's it's exponential. I, I know tennis is growing. When you go yeah. and build the tennis court now, is is uh, is it a majority? I mean, are, are the majority of courts being built clay, hard, uh, something else? What, what, what are you what are you finding in terms of tennis construction? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we're still building more tennis courts than anything else. You know, so uh, I mean, you could part of that is the backyard pickleball job is getting a little small for the size of our company at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still do it, you know, if it's local, it makes sense. But the we're still building many, many tennis courts, and 
To answer your question, it kind of breaks down, depends on your client. So ours are mostly, uh, you know, three, three sections, like I said, educational, private school, private college, the occasional uh, public high school, the club market, and then your homeowner, right? So, so I, can, I can guess the, the, the recreational educational is hard courts, correct? Homeowners are still depends on, you know, you get somebody who is on a vacation home and they don't use it that much and don't want the maintenance, they'll put a hard court in there. Post-section okay. concrete, hardcore, don't have to worry about it. Just like Arthur Ashe, they walk out there and hit. They have kids and they want to put a basketball hoop up there. They're not going to bounce it off clay. So right. homeowner, I would say, is about 50-50. Okay. Um, clay core, I mean, clubs, you're seeing the trend is still clay or hard true, you know, and the trend is to be switching from old sprinkler irrigation to subsurface irrigation, which is obviously all prevalent in Florida. We're doing a lot of rebuilds where um, we're stripping out the court and putting in subsurface irrigation, like the hydro grid system. Um, that being because racket sports are so strong that and demand is so high, that allows a, a less maintenance because they're, um, <clears throat> they stay harder longer because they're watered and everything else. You don't have to shut the courts down in the middle of the day to water in the summer because they're being watered from underneath. So you gain that midday hour, you know, that maybe not everybody wants to play on because it's hot, but you know, a lot of times, you know, in new England, you don't get that score, especially where, where we are that sell that scorcher, maybe July and August, you know, um, you still have more playability during the, during the time. So the people are trying to expand their tennis offerings and their, um, and the subsurface irrigation is kind of a trend to do it. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. I'll I'll be honest. I'll put my opinion out there. I I I don't mind it so much in Florida because I think I kind of expect it. I think it's a mental thing with me. But up there, yeah. where I grew up on hard true and and where I am in the summer is actual clay. So we don't we don't we don't really have to water it that much unless it's a scorcher. Last year was a scorcher summer. We had to water a good bit. Yeah. The well went down, and that is a problem. But I just don't like. I'm a I'm a tennis player. Um, yeah, so am I. Yeah, and I don't. I just find the subsurface. And I'm not trying to tell anyone not to do it but um sure. i just find that the, the the play is slower it's a slower game it's more it, it's even slower than i think red clay and i for me i like to have a little more pace on the ball so it's just a personal thing um but i can see why clubs do it you you know tune like, it a little bit less you know i mean not to get into the minutia of it but if you yeah. want to do it you could probably back the water down and roll it a little harder and yeah. uh, to maybe kind of tune that up a little bit that's what we uh, did in jersey and 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 I've, I've told East Chop to do it out there on on the vineyard because those yep. four courts that uh, that were put in there, um, I know the GM there have been trying to help her get those a little less slow, <laughs> a little less. So we built those courts. So I know you did. I, didn't, you know, I was going to give you a plug sooner or later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I told them not to go subsurface. I was their consultant, and uh, they did it. They overruled me. And then and and Johnny, who's the GM, then I I went out there right after you completed them. We we've been yeah. working together on them but they, they they're great courts well done and the club the club loves them you know that the, and i know the pro this year loved having i guess they taught two of the teaching courts are now subsurface so um yeah so the there are three sprinkler irrigation four sprinkler irrigation courts because that teaching court is not subsurface yet but they're talking about doing it and then the four courts next to the clubhouse now to be fair uh Hard hydro, you know, subsurface irrigated courts, and they were taking this in a just a maintenance conversation that we don't want to go down. But they just, but uh, it's all good. They tend to play softer in the first year as you get because you have that angular stone, as you know, 
um, you know, the basalt that comes out of the Shenandoah Valley there is always angular. And to be fair, it's also comes from a different part of the quarry each month. Sometimes we get clay that looks a little grayer. Sometimes we get a little Yeah, clay. I've noticed that. Different colors. Natural substance, right? So generally, when you're compacting a quart in order to make it play hard, what you're doing is you're rolling it to create that angular compaction to pump the air and to pump the water out. So to get those, basically, so it winds up interlocking and stays harder longer. And with clay, with hydro, if you roll it harder at the beginning of the season and get that early season compaction, um, then it'll play harder longer. And uh, but it's generally they'll always play a little bit better in year two than they do in year one. I, I think they noticed that this year because I didn't get as many complaints because um, <laughs> uh, the the first two I guess you did two years ago. So um, yeah. yeah, so. So to go back, so you're still seeing you're still seeing clubs basically, uh, country clubs putting in, in, in clay or hard true, uh, yeah. recreational and and educational tending to go hard courts. Um, where do you think where do you think tennis is going to fit in with all these new sports? I mean, I I have I you know I have this dream that tennis is in the center of any club, and you've got pickle to the left, padel to the right, squash down the left over here, and uh, platform down there, you know, in the in the valley where it stays warm in the winter. Um, where do you think tennis is going to fit in in 15 to 20 years with all these new sports? Uh, I think it will have its place among the purists for sure. You know, I, I don't, I mean, geez, the U S open had its largest attendance record ever. Right. So the, uh, both in viewership and attendance. So you, that's, it's hard to ignore people. are paying. We had, Amer we had Americans involved too. Coco. Yeah. Yeah. Side too. Yep. yeah. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, we had two males in the quarters, right? With uh, TFO and uh, Ben Johnson. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I think it is, I would tell you it's strong, but it's also, if I'm being honest, I think it's stronger at a certain socioeconomic level. You know, I think that in the clubs, in the high end residential, it's as strong as it's ever been, if not more so. Um, I do think with, uh, you know, this other, it all depends on what happens with this next generation. Like, like I said, I'm 46 and I think that USTA may have missed the boat with my generation, you know? So like I didn't grow up in that country club world. Right. So um, I think they may have ridden the popularity of the tennis boom coming out of the seventies into the eighties and just thought, you know, yeah, all the American stars and McEnroe and Connors, et cetera, that the thing was just on a trajectory and they may not have courted, uh, you know, guys like me who just wanted to, you know, I would have played whatever you put in front of me, but we were playing baseball and playing soccer and everything else like that. And I think that how that is handled, how they capitalize on this boom going through this racket sports boom. Uh, and maybe it's not just USTA, but I, and so I don't want to put all the you know burden on them, but that's their job is to, I think their mission is to grow tennis in the United States or something similar. Uh, I think how they capitalize on this energy right now will tell tales on because 15 years from now is the next generation essentially playing as young adults and, and everything else. So um, I think pickleball is here to stay um, in certain niches as well. I mean, you cannot argue with its accessibility, no barrier to entry. Um, you know, it's getting a lot of people out who may not be doing something active. Uh, I do not think that it will replace, I don't think it'll replace tennis. And I don't, and I think 
Padel is going to come in here and I think it's going to be a good mix of both. And I think it's going to do well. I think it'll be better than squash because it'll be more accessible. Like it's, you can't even find a squash court unless you get in behind, you know, these gates, you know, basically unless you show up in a league school or play at a private club and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it'll, uh, I think it will have its niche. And I think, I think there's room for all of it. And if USA does a good job with tennis, I wouldn't be scared. I think that, um, I think they all know they kind of blew it with the original uh, interaction with pickleball. You know, they gave him the Heisman for so many years and then now decided to jump on board because they're, you know, they were worried about it. And and I get it. They're trying to read the room. They're trying to bring out their quick start and tenant under courts and everything else. And obviously there's a big conflict with that. I think everybody's learning that they got to play together. What's interesting to me about Padel and the USTA, I think they have an opportunity to jump in here because there's been, um, before the big majors have been Padel tournaments at Australian Open, I believe Wimbledon and I know Roland Garros. So, but not U.S. Open. So you could have all that space out there at, at, at Flushing, right? You could definitely make that work. So, um, if so, done correctly, I think they should all. I mean, I think it's time to, you know, like I said, rising tide lifts all boats and kumbaya, and let's bring racket sports up together. You know. Yeah. I, you make a good point there. I mean, the majors, France they, and Wimbledon, they can't really expand that property, but the U.S. Open can. I mean, big time. Land forever. You know? Oh, my God. It's like you have acres and acres. Mm-hmm. You drive through. I mean, if you've ever been U.S. Open, you drive 20 minutes through greenery to get to the stadium. It's- From the kitchens to the courts, the practice tees to the waterfront, Beyond the Baselines is your partner to find the best in-class employees for your club, facility, or resort. Beyond the Baselines is the leading executive search firm for private members clubs and boutique resorts. Whether you are a member-owned club or a corporate hotel entity, we are the specialists for you in elite hospitality. It's not just the members that should feel loyalty to their club. It's the sense of loyalty combined with the pride of offering superior service and hospitality in every worker that makes a good club that much better. Call us today at 508-538-1288. So find that right candidate with us today. Or visit us on the web at beyondthebaselines.com. That's 508-538-1288. To, to wrap up, um, you're you're looking to continue growing the Padel construction. You're, yeah. You still build the most is tennis courts. And mm-hmm. you're looking to the Padel. You're expanding your your area down to, to, to DC. Um, do you do you think uh, bring it back to home? And you're 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 there and born on the Bourne Bridge, and yeah. uh, those those bridges are soon to be gone. I hear. Um, but do you do you see Cape the Cape and Islands? How how do you think they're going to do in terms of tennis Padel? I mean, it's a different. That's a different market in its own. And you guys are called Cape and Island, and I'm part of that. And yeah. I'm just interested in seeing what you think is going to happen right there. It's very so, I mean, keep an eye on, right? You have lots of vacation homes here, for sure. Destination. So, without a doubt. So, like, the first Padel court in New England was in on Nantucket. You know, the um, tennis is very strong in all the clubs and the backyards. If you did a Google Earth search of Cape Cod, you know, it's not quite the Hamptons, but there's tennis courts everywhere. You know, I think that it's, uh, I think it's strong. And like I said, that is that 
niche that socioeconomic niche that is going to support tennis you know um one thing that's very interesting is that there is um still fairly year i mean still fairly seasonal as far as that level of buyer uh but that's changing COVID's changed it you know obviously become more of a zoom town for a lot of, a lot of these guys are now spending more and more time they're selling their houses by the city and they're coming back down here um as far as Padel is concerned, um, I think it'll have its spots. You know, you can only support so many tennis clubs year-round down here. One thing I, I it's just interesting and worth noting as we're looking for places in New England. So it's really boomed in Europe because there's a lot of warehouse space in, in Europe. And from what I understand from talking to some of these guys in the UK, apparently in England that business isn't doing all that well, the warehousing business. And for economic reasons, I imagine it's something to do with Brexit and the yep. fact that they are not importing all this stuff out here. But now they're like scrambling to find play tenants, essentially. So Padel is a natural tenant for these spaces. We don't really have that space in New England. So when we're looking at real estate, there's two things that are coming in that are basically impeding growth uh, in this market. And I'll say something about the outdoors in a second. But indoors, it's ceiling height. So they're recommended... You know, eight meters is the year, which is basically 24 feet a bit, right? So let's say 25 feet for ceiling height. And then there's column spacing in these old brick buildings and everything else. So you have these courts that are 20 by 10 meters or 66 by 33. And a lot of times you have 30 by 50 column spacing in the in these buildings, and it just doesn't work. Fine for pickleball. So you know, you might be running into a post, but you gotta wrap them up. But um it's it's challenging for for Padel. So in the outdoors, like I would have thought that I would have four to five courts outdoors in the Boston area in 2023 summer. Permitting has been a killer. Nobody knows what the heck these are. You know, you say, hey, we got 10 feet of glass on the ends and, uh, you know, it's a structure and and people are like, all right, well, and now all you have all this engineering, the engineering has all been done in Europe, but they're all in European units. They calculate wind loads differently over there than they do here. Right. And they it's usually have a big in Florida, the wind loads. Oh, without a doubt, because now you're in a hurricane velocity zone, right? So here in America, and like I know in Spain, when I was talking to these guys, because uh, we've been importing some courts from Barcelona, um, they have one country code for wind. We have country, state, municipality. I mean, and then you get 100 feet from the water and it changes. So it's all got to get stamped by a local engineer who's looking at these units and you know, the, all the all the mass a little bit different on the units are different, and basically case by case, we're having to pay engineers to convert them to American units. It's dying in permitting. Once that gets a little bit more normalized, once people like you can go to a, a building department in town and say, "Hey, I want to put a tennis court," they know what that is. You know, so once they, a little bit of these more get established, I think it'll be better. But I think that's an impediment to growth right now, at least in our part of the world. Yeah, it, it's a little easier down here, I hear, because uh, the, the the engineers, the, the permitting engineers are starting to hear a lot more about Padel, you know, down, right. down Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. So when they came up here to Vero, uh, again, the clubs are circling, and, and but they know what they are. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, here here's the fun thing is, is, as you said, the Cape and Islands, and for those who aren't New Englanders who listen, the Cape and Islands is Cape Cod, Nantucket, and Martha's Vineyard, okay? Yeah. Um, uh, so it's a destination, as you say. 
it, it's seasonal. It's going to be cold. You're not going to shovel snow off outdoor padel courts, I don't think, although you do it with platform tennis. Um, but you just gave me a hint. I'm going to invest in a big warehouse in New Bedford. Maybe we'll check yeah. Bedford, you know. <laughs> No, I tell you, it's uh, it, it's, all it's just very interesting, you know. Like it's obviously I'm immersed in this, right? So I'm like doing this every single day, but uh, just seeing all these little nuances, like I find that that's just going to be a speed bump. Once we got to get through that, it's it's going to be kind of off to the races. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of room right now. There's way more demand than there is supply, you know, for for that game. So. I'm just thinking. I, I you didn't even you know. I, I'm so glad I learned something huge today. Is those brick factories i mean we new bedford new london they're all textile old textile shipping lobster towns with huge brick buildings that yeah. they turn lofts but if you could figure out a way to support the roof and get the padel courts underneath it'd be fantastic yeah you gotta put some giant iron i-beams in there and uh so it'll it'll be interesting like it'll be these big i think province has a good opportunity because there's you know there's a span there's a latin population there as well there's a yeah. great um there's a brand new USL uh, soccer team going in the Pawtucket Providence line. You know, yep. you'll see that if you're reading the articles that a lot of the soccer players, the football players in Europe are, they're adding these Padel courts to their training grounds because it gives them something to do off. Like all the F1 drivers now are playing, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's that's awesome. why I said New Bedford because yeah. New Bedford's close to me and I know it's famous, you know, Portuguese restaurants, the Portuguese yeah. Uh, you know, I've been in, in New Bedford and, and Bristol, Rhode Island, all over there, um, you know, for, for generations. And so it's a, a very heavily Latino area. Hey, Eric, it's been great to have you on here. I've learned so much about construction and who's building what and where and why. Um, just let us know for the audience where they can reach you there at Tennis and Track. Maybe your email or. Yeah, uh, probably. Uh, probably the best email right now would be eric at northeastfidel.com. Uh, and that, you know, and obviously, uh, northeastfidel.com as our, as our new website. So you can sure to check that out, that check that out. Tennisandtrack.com is our, our tennis and uh, running track construction website. It's been a real pleasure. I, I really appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Great to have you. Thank you for listening to beyondthebaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com, which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.